Hello, you are listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. In this podcast, recorded February 21st, 2020, Talim Director John Davison interviews Johanna Sleiter, PhD candidate at the Institute of Fine Arts, New York University, where she is writing a dissertation on the Atelier des Bâtisseurs, at BAT, and the development of habitat in post-war architecture. Johanna will review her recent research in Algeria and Morocco, including methodological approaches and challenges in investigating ATBAT's theoretical and concrete developments of habitat in Morocco. Johanna, welcome to Tangier. Welcome to the legation. Thank you for taking the trip up. Um, we're, uh, I know that most of your research has been in uh, south of Tangier and in Algeria, but could you talk a little bit about your overall uh, research theme? Sure. So thank you for having me. It's, I'm very happy to be here. I wish I had more time, but next time perhaps. Um, I am in an art history program, and I'm writing my dissertation on the Atelier des Batisseurs, which I reference in the title, which they're better known as AtBat. And it's a bit of a three-pronged project. Uh, the first aspect is to provide a monograph on the group, which has yet to be done. And they're important because they were the first international think tank of architecture and engineering in the mm -hmm. world. And I argue that this has implications still today. Uh, the second aspect is to look at their development of habitat, both as a theoretical term and in, in more concrete mm -hmm. terms in terms of the buildings. So it's both a study between the relationship as well as the distance, let's say, between the use of a term and its realization yeah. in built form. Uh, and then thirdly, it is to link a history of heroic modernism, which is what we refer to as Le Corbusier, Mies van der Rohe, this kind of international style of architecture, and later pro projects in the 1960s and 70s, which are more geared towards transnational or international groups and corporations, less so focused on a single author than kind of a multivocal oh. production. I like how you use the term think tank. It's one of the first <laughs> architectural think tanks. I can't imagine, I can't picture what an architectural think tank is. What, what do you sure. think a think tank, architectural uh, think tank is? Well, again, I think today it's actually more the common model. If people are familiar with Rem Koolhaas or uh, OMA, mm -hmm. which is probably the best known architecture firm in the world right now in Rotterdam, they have uh, an affiliated think tank called AMO. Uh, where they are very interested in research, both historical as well as technical, sociological. Uh, there's a big emphasis these days on research and exhibition production in tandem with your architectural production. Um, AECOM is the biggest engineering firm in the world these days. But in the case of Le Corbusier and AtBat, it's both a product of its time, meaning that it was formed in Paris during the German occupation, when mm -hmm. the studio had very few physical commissions, and so they were given this freedom to really think about more experimental projects, utopian planning for post-war reconstruction. And so I call it a think tank in the sense that their production is equal parts buildings and texts, treatises, patents, uh, not exhibitions at this time, right. but they're they're very much invested in a, a theoretical development of architecture. And they as were well. Paris-based, but then they went global. They so do, and it, and when I say Paris-based, that just happens to be their physical where the physical right. office is. It's a really interesting mix of people. Um, it's a little hard to pin down because there's no centralized at-bat archive. Mm -hmm. um, they don't keep a firm roster of who's a member at what time. They do a lot of outside collaborations. 
But I can generally say that there are at any given time 10 to 60 people involved in this project. And in the beginning, they are almost all under 30 international and find themselves in Paris during the war. Really, really? only one or two are French. Yeah. Really? Yeah, there are people from Algeria, there are people from Cambodia, Japan, Mexico, Colombia, the United States. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very international group. Who are stuck in Paris in the Who war. Who are stuck in Paris. But I think this is what propels them to leave France afterwards. And, okay. it, and it makes them a more effective group working around the world because even though they are Paris-based, there's less of a feeling that this is just a European group of white architects dropping in yeah. to tell local people how they should build. So they would have not only been their, you know, a prototype of, of an architect think tank, but a global. Yes, for a, sure. A think tank that envisioned itself as being global. Yeah, very much so. Um, I, I'll talk about that tonight. Sure. <laughs> um, I think one of the other reasons why I, I found an interest in this term habitat, and I think a very clear demonstration of its importance today, is that many of the members of APBAT, once it falls apart for various reasons, um, they're contracted by the United Nations, and they're the first wave of UN habitat. So this no, is where this is all great. headed. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And... You, uh, the your project is it's is it every every country where at that was located, no. <laughs> no. or you've chosen a few a few to, yes. to visit? Yeah, I've tried to choose exemplary projects. I've also chosen projects that have the most documentation, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, strategically. Um, but no, they built all around the world. Um, they the first part of your question, they have ambition to be global. It's not entirely realized. They do develop a firm offices in France and North Africa, both in Morocco and Algeria. They envision an at-bat Orient in Beirut and an at-bat Amérique in New York. Uh These are not fully realized. Um, But the projects I've chosen to work on are located in Morocco and Algeria. Uh Uh, So beginning in France, sorry, then to Morocco and Algeria, from there to Cambodia. Then they, I'm looking at a very odd parallel between a project they're working on in Guinea in Africa at the same time really? that they're constructing a project in Greenland uh-huh. that have these strange climatic uh, parallels. And then I bring them back to Paris in the end because after this worldwide experience, they leave Paris when there's n- no real building to be had. They go abroad and work in many colonial or decolonizing or recently independent countries. Mm-hmm. And then they return to Europe for the big wave of Ville Nouvelle, Grands Ensembles, uh, a lot of suburban planning right. in the 60s and 70s. Um, you must have the most ambitious global research scheme I've heard oh, no. in a while. <laughs> the, um, uh, but we're here to talk about your North Africa, mm-hmm. your North African mm-hmm. research. You've been now to Algeria and to, um, to uh, Morocco. Yes. So if you could talk a little bit about what... Um, what was here in those two countries that uh, attracted the mm. attracted you to come? Yeah, so the image we'll include with the talk is actually my entry point to the project as a whole. I I was interested in modernism. I'm a Francophile, so mm-hmm. I just chose a French topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was more interested in this critique of Le Corbusier and international modernism. And when I started looking into those actors, I found this project in Casablanca called the Carrière Centrale, which is a really beautiful, sensitive, humanly scaled housing project. And it was one of the last efforts by the French uh, protectorate to build humane housing, let's Mm -hmm. say, for Muslim residents. It had plumbing, it had electricity, uh, it 
wasn't, you know, it, it had proper ventilation and lighting. And so that's really my entry point into okay. the project. Um, the situation in Algeria is slightly different just because of French colonial control. Um, and then there are also various uh, restrictions or directives, let's say, about who they should be building for, whether that be the French colonial population, uh, Muslims in the country, or Jewish residents. Mm -hmm. And they try to develop different types of housing that respond to each of these three uh, demographics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, you're, you've been based, while in Morocco, you've been based mostly in Casablanca. Yes. Um, doing archival research and did you, you, but you must have visited the buildings that you're yes, talking about. Yes, I did. About. Right. Um, so getting back to your previous question yeah. where you asked me what I've been doing in Algeria yeah. and Morocco, I did, the main point of coming was to see the buildings. Um, many of them are in threat of destruction really? around the world. Uh, yes, the the most famous Apat building in Cambodia was just demolished in 2017. Um, so it was really, I thought, important to see these buildings. As a student of French history, I'm very archive focused. I like documentation. Uh -huh. uh, I spend a lot of time in libraries. But there's also... I would argue an incorrect tendency in academia to do a lot of armchair research, mm -hmm. meaning from the comfort of your office in right. Paris or New York, you Google map and Google image these buildings and you feel free to write about them. Mm -hmm. And yes, you can do a lot of archival research, but you know, if you have a plan of an apartment or a building, you can take your tape measure, you can try to understand the general spatial dimensions. Yeah. But unless you go there in person, you won't understand how the residents have adapted and changed the building, how it's weathered over time, is she, you know, if it's very cramped and dark, if it has yeah. good ventilation. So to me, that was very, very, very right. important. Um, I was not always welcome in doing so. I also had incredibly moving and interesting discussions and interactions with current residents. Mm -hmm. It's understandable that people would be somewhat suspect of a person walking around their residence with a camera, unannounced, taking photos. I wouldn't be thrilled right. if someone did this to me in my yeah. home either. But I think if you announce what you're doing, um, many residents were aware of the historical significance of these buildings. And if they weren't, they wanted to learn more. Um, I was invited into people's homes where they gave me cake. And sometimes I met residents who had actually been among the first people to inhabit these buildings in the 50s. Uh -huh. So that was all very exciting. And uh, in parallel with these kind of fieldwork efforts, I have been trying to consult archives in Algeria and Morocco. It's a bit of a vexed endeavor yeah. for a number of reasons. Uh, France holds the vast majority of records from this time period for both Algeria and mm -hmm. Morocco in their own holdings. And I think archivists in Morocco and Algeria are rightly somewhat suspect of yet another French-speaking person mm -hmm. coming in to write their history. So so I had a lot of great findings and, a lot, and some pushback, yeah. but I think that's to be expected. Within the, you mentioned that some of the residents had had been there since the mm -hmm. buildings were built, and others had ideas of what have how the buildings had been built. Mm -hmm. Was that were there revelations you found in their own perceptions of the history of their buildings that they um, revelations? I had an interesting conversation with one woman uh, who kind. This is also all in French, and she told me that I was welcome because I speak French like an Arab person, and so. She, <laughs> <laughs> this is when I was offered the cake. But um, she was living in an apartment building that was originally built for the French colonial administration, which is to say that she was living in a 
substantially more spacious, better mm-hmm. ventilated yeah. double exposition building than, than many of the Muslim housing projects. And she seemed somewhat surprised. I think both people who are currently living... It's very obvious that people who are currently living in the very minimal basic housing for Muslims from the 50s find the space insufficient. Yep. Uh, you know, the building is falling apart. Um, but she seemed surprised to know that her apartment had originally been built to accommodate a specifically European resident because she found that it worked well for her needs. Uh, it could have been bigger, <laughs> yeah. in her opinion. But that was kind of an interesting interesting takeaway for me. Yeah, the, the sort of practical ideas that residents have versus mm-hmm. theoreticians. Now, with the archives, um, the... Uh, you were able to over. I hope you were able to overcome some of the suspicions about why is a French-speaking mm-hmm. person coming and asking these questions. Um, beyond that issue, uh, how did you find the archives themselves? Were they were they uh, were they easy to 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 go through mm-hmm. once you got access to them? And uh, the process of using Algerian archives mm-hmm. is quite difficult. Um, it's very long and labor intensive you have to submit requests for what you want to view these are approved folder by folder or denied folder by folder Uh so i had less archival success let's say in algeria Uh um in morocco i did not find many building permits which is what i was really hoping to find Uh, i did find some plans in the municipal archives in casablanca uh, the Ministry of Housing also had more statistical surveys and analyses of residents, of popu- population demographics, particularly this huge wave of migration um, to Casablanca in the 40s and 50s. Uh, so it's kind of a mix of statistical uh, research plans and drawings. Mm-hmm. But the the bulk of my archival research, I would say, is, is in France at, at the moment, just because that's where I have the Fondation Le Corbusier, um, even though not all of the architects of Atbet were French themselves, many right. died and or donated their archives to French institutions. So, and they and then in Casablanca, uh, I I know you showed me a photo mm-hmm. earlier of some archives that were uh, that looked that were, didn't seem to be very cataloged. <laughs> no, um, so you had to you got to have the adventure of going. Document oh, yes. by document. Yes, I sent that photo to some of my friends, and they were like, "Do you feel like Indiana Jones?" <laughs> uh, which I do a little bit. But um, in Casablanca, I met up with a really great group who I can link because I think people would be interested in their mm-hmm. work. Um, they're called Mama. Uh, it's for the memory of modern Moroccan architects, and they primarily work on architecture produced post-independence in Morocco. Okay. But they are very committed to creating a public publicly accessible and free archive of modern architecture in Mm -hmm. Morocco. And so they have partnered with and made friendships with the local archivists um, and other people in Mm -hmm. Casablanca. And they're who, they're the people who got me access to this building. It's not an archive that you Uh can just show up at and ask to view documents in. And yes, as you saw in the photo, it's extremely laborious. There's, there's, there's no finding aid. There is no reading room. There is no catalog. Um, There's a very knowledgeable man who has, I, I assume either a photographic memory or an incredible uh-huh. spatial memory of where uh-huh. certain folders uh-huh. have been placed. But in Casablanca, no, the archives were recently flooded. Uh, a lot of material was lost. Mm-hmm. They're in a state of, I I would say, maybe yeah. disorganization and disarray. So it's 
it's not the straightforward process that one is accustomed to either in the U.S. or France. There's there's, there's much less of a system. There's, you've place. got work to be done, you think, I, Oh, yeah. I mean, if I had 10,000 hours to kill, I'm yeah. sure there are treasures in that archive to be right. found. But we don't always have that much time. The the association you mentioned, mm-hmm. Ma, uh, Ma, Mama, Mama mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about what their relationship is to, um, to modern architecture sure. in Casa? And were they aware of the building? Mm-hmm. Uh, was that in their radar, the building it, yes. that you were actually interested in? It was. So they are maybe the second generation of this group, Casa Memoir, which people might know a bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mama is primarily two young architecture teachers at the École d'Architecture in Casablanca. They put on tours of these buildings in mm-hmm. Casablanca, which generally take the whole day. Uh, they have exhibitions. They have a great website where a lot of these drawings and plans can be found. Uh, they have a very active Instagram page. Right. So it's they are interested less in historic preservation, let's say, which I think is more the focus of Casa Memoir, whereas Mama is really about community engagement and uh, raising the level of awareness of the really incredible architectural patrimony that exists not mm-hmm. only in Casablanca, but in Morocco, in Morocco more broadly. And they focus on this period of the 1950s to the 1970s, let's say. But since my project is from 52, uh, this is kind of the jumping off point for the emergence of modern architecture in in Morocco. I've read that in Casa, there's a there's a push to to save that the Mm -hmm. architecture of that period. Mm -hmm. Um, And you mentioned that that some of the buildings you're you're interested in have already been demolished. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you sense about what's your sense about the, the building in Casablanca? Is it Good, is it in good condition? Right. Is it in one that uh, is... Maybe what we should do, actually, is we should include an image of the how it originally appeared and what it looks like today, because I think this would speak to the yeah. huge level of alteration and adaptation that's occurred. Uh-huh. I'm personally a bit torn, because the project was... You know, buildings have lives, too. They're not meant to last forever. And this particular housing development was more of a transitional mm-hmm. building in the sense that it was adjacent to a shanty town, and then it was to encourage Muslims to basically live more like Europeans in vertical yeah. collective housing. So it wasn't supposed to last forever, and perhaps it shouldn't. Um, I think many people would find the dimensions <clears throat> too small to be comfortable today, so I can appreciate it for its historical value, but should it still be a place where people are forced to live? I, I'm a little, I'm less certain of the answer to that. The building itself is not in great condition. Yeah. Um, each apartment unit had an outdoor patio. In the case of one of the buildings at this Carrière Centrale site, uh, all of the patios have been enclosed with brick or other ad hoc mm-hmm. building materials, if only to reclaim that space as another interior room, because... They're just, you know, they don't have much room. There are also cooking facilities and storage facilities added on the roof. And I think this also raises questions of the structural integrity of the building if you keep adding on to it with no clear plan. Right. So so there are a number of issues at play. And, and as I said, personally, I'm I'm torn okay. on, on its preservation. Well, you, you, I know that you said there's a, a Tangier connection. Um, to to this this uh, batelier mm-hmm. association, but not one that still exists. No, they just their first office for at Bat Afrique was in Tangier, and then they quite quickly moved to Casablanca. Yeah. And I should maybe also note that 
they their timing is quite apt. So they leave Morocco in fifty four and go to Algeria. Mm-hmm. They leave Algeria in sixty. I think you can see yes, what's yes. happening here. A little connection to the politics yes, of the time. Yes. So so that's something to think about too. And Tangier in fifty two would have been international zone, uh, but not necessarily. Uh, affiliated with, uh, associated with what was happening always in the rest of the country because mm. of its status as international zone. Okay. The, um, there, your point about the social housing, well, not the, the housing in Casablanca, in Tangier, there is also social housing from that period that some people are trying to protect, protect mm. preservationists, and others are making exactly the same argument mm. uh, about the condition of the housing as such that should it be maintained, but yeah. not the same architects. Um, what do you have left to do in Morocco? Will you be coming back? I would love to come back to Morocco. Uh, I have a talk tonight. <laughs> oh, right. Good luck. Um, thank you. What else to do in Morocco? Um, part, part of the Indiana Jones aspect of the project, let's say, is simply finding these buildings. Mm-hmm. I did not get to every single building I wanted to see or hoped okay. to find in Morocco during my time here. So from the archives in France, I have lists of buildings that were supposedly erected here. But when I showed this list to many people in Morocco, they seemed dubious <laughs> right. at best about either if these buildings had ever been built and certainly if they still existed today. So uh, some of they also did a lot of work on schools, hospitals, covered markets. I've chosen to focus on housing. But yeah, I think there are many other possible directions for future research and projects embedded in, in their work here. And I would like to learn more about that. Well, good luck. Thank you very much. Um, and if you have the opportunity to come back to Tangier, I know the research might not bring you, but if you do find research opportunities here, please come back. Great. I would love to. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themaghrebpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean.